He is risen. I want you to remember that as we go through the message. I'm going to talk today about how, well, this changes everything. Now, you might expect that I'm actually using that phrase to talk about the resurrection, since we're saying that he is risen indeed. Surely it's about the resurrection. Actually, however, probably most Americans, maybe people around the world, first became familiar with that phrase, not because, well, of this message, but instead because of something that a... Uh, inventor, that an entrepreneur, that a technologist came up with, and his name was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs actually would uh, run Apple, found and run Apple with some others, found with some others, and, and, uh, and then he, they started to create this thing that eventually would be called the iPhone. There was the first one was called an iPhone 3GS, and, but then he came up in June 2010 and at this uh, developers conference, and he, he held this up. This is actually an iPhone 4, and he said, this changes everything. That's a picture of it in my very manly hand that I'm holding it up there, so you can take a look at that. This changes everything. This is actually my iPhone 4. These were made in June 2010. It changed a lot of things. It had now a, a fancier camera. It actually had a, a 960 by 680 screen, which back then was, was cutting edge, highest density pixels of its time. A VGA front-facing camera, so now you could use this thing called FaceTime for the first time, and nobody has used it since. But nevertheless, <laughs> here was the idea that this changes everything again, he said. The reality is, well, maybe you're asking, why do I still have it if that's such an outdated and kind of moved on kind of phone? And because here's the reality, the iPhone 4 didn't really change everything. Matter of fact, what it probably changes is not all particularly to the positive according to research, right? Now we can go around and post pictures of our fake lives on Instagram to make other people feel bad about their sorry lives. It actually causes us to be more depressed, more disconnected from other people. If it changed everything, it wasn't a good thing in the first place. And for most of us, well, an iPhone 4 seems like a long time ago. You say, Ed, why do you still have an iPhone 4? Well, I, I make my kids use it as a backup phone if they lose or break theirs. And there's a great power in the shaming of actually carrying an iPhone 4 today in high school. And so uh, it completely motivates them to protect their cell phones like it was made of gold. They will not lose or break those cell phones. But here's the reality. This didn't change everything. If anything, it didn't make a whole lot of good for the positive. Steve Jobs actually is now no longer with us. He's dead. And in the process, leaving behind kind of a sad story in his own life and his own journey. So it really didn't change everything. But something that changes everything is something we would talk about not 10 years later, not 100 years later, but maybe two millennia later, we would talk about something that makes a difference forever, something that changes everything, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Why? Because He is risen. I even warned you I was going to do that, and you weren't working with me there. It's coming again. Be ready. And indeed, he has risen, and that changes everything. This changes everything, the resurrection and life, and, and it cannot be moderately important. It cannot be moderately important. I want to look at three things today, and we're going to go through this quickly because I want us to cover some ground here today. The first thing I want us to see is that the empty tomb changes the disciples. That's the first change 
that we see, right? We, we already had those readings. We kind of learned from those readings of what's, what's going on. We read from uh, different scripture passages. Mary did a great job reading from the Gospel of John and Matthew. And then, and then Larry sort of preached his way through his readings. Don't you want Larry to like preach, read more often? I love it when he does that. So the empty tomb, though, we've heard the description, right? Luke 24, beginning at verse 1, says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. You see, they were going to really prepare his body for the long-term burial. It goes on to say they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in, did not find the body of the Lord Jesus they're perplexed, it says, and while they were, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. And then he says, Remember what he told you? And they remembered, and they went back, and they told others, and then Peter ran to the tomb with them, and they saw that he is not here. He, he has come back from the dead. It's hard to miss the fact that something happened to the disciples. Think about these disciples. Good Friday. It's an odd phrase, Good Friday. It's hard to explain to a non-Christian why we call good the day that our Savior was nailed to a cross, bled, and died, yet we call it good. How do you call it good as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus? On that day, they all ran. They all hid, right? Uh, Peter denies him, and we find all the disciples often afraid, running away. That Good Friday was not a Good Friday for them. It was a day of despair and desperation and the death of their hopes. It's fascinating to me how quickly they forgot all that Jesus told them. They, they seemed genuinely surprised when he came back, because, but he had told them he would come back. But perhaps if that happened, they knew this changes everything, and it changed them. Because here's this Peter, remember he denies him. No, I don't know him, I don't know him. Let me say it again, I don't know him. Peter is denying Jesus and soon he's preaching Jesus. What changes is so significant? They scattered at first in fear, then they scattered on mission around the world. The one called Doubting Thomas going all the way to India to preach the good news of the gospel. This is one called a doubter who becomes perhaps the farthest to go on mission. Why? Because there's a change. Listen, when people encounter dead people back from the dead, there's always a reaction. <laughs> and there's a reaction here. Matter of fact, the rise of early Christianity, think about it, from just a small group to then Christian communities all around the Mediterranean, as far away as India, to ultimately the world becoming filled with millions and then tens of millions and then hundreds of millions of Christians, the only thing that explains the rise of early Christianity is an empty tomb. Because this scattered, frightened, dejected group on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday says, he's back. And when they knew he was back, they knew something had changed. And so here's the thing, right? We need to know that this wasn't just something that a few people heard of. And actually, Jesus makes sure of that, right? He appears first, right? And we see, we see him come to some of his disciples and sort of list the disciples that he comes to at different places. But eventually, he literally appears to 500 people at one time. So later, when Paul is actually uh, testifying before King Agrippa, he says this. He says, you know about this. Don't pretend you don't know about this. In Acts 26, he puts it this way. He says, for the king knows about these things, and I am to speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things happened in a corner. This didn't escape his notice. This really happened. And so here's the thing. The disciples say, we know it. 
We saw it. Others saw it. They said to King Agrippa, you know it. You know it happened. It didn't happen in a quarter. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. And a billion years from now, we'll still be talking and singing about it. It's that big of a deal. It changes everything. He is risen. So unlike iPhones or whatever else, right, this really does change everything. This changes everything, the resurrection and the life, and it cannot be moderately important. It cannot be moderately important. So first, we looked at how the disciples were changed by this reality. Let's not leave it there. The second thing we want to see is the resurrection doesn't just change the disciples. The resurrection changes everything. And that iPhone boasts, right, this changes everything. It was a boast. didn't turn out to be true. It didn't change much. And that's what disappointing things do. They, they let you down. And that's what almost happened to the disciples, they thought, on Good Friday, unless there was an Easter morning. Good Friday is not good unless there's an Easter Sunday, right? And that's the, the scenario that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Don't miss that. If Christ has not been in, raised, then what I'm doing right now is in vain. It's a waste. It's foolishness. It's a waste of your time. Matter of fact, your faith is in vain. We can build beautiful cathedrals and we can burn them down and we can build them again, but it's all a waste of time if Christ has not been raised, Paul the Apostle reminds us. But here's the good news. He has been. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Interesting this morning that just a few hours ago on the other side of the world in a place called Sri Lanka, a place where some of the people at Moody Church are from, just off of India, but we actually have Sri Lankans here who attend our church. And just a few hours ago at the end of their Easter services when the bombs started to go off. You might have missed the news this morning. I wouldn't be surprised if you just came here. But one church was bombed and another church was bombed and another church was bombed. A series coordinated of church bombings this morning, churches and hotels. And so leaving church today, our brothers and sisters in Christ were greeted with death and mayhem and murder and terrorism. And we can say, and in a sense we do say, this, this, these poor people in Sri Lanka, these poor Christians in Sri Lanka, this minority community that has, that has, per, that, that has proclaimed Christ, we, we hurt for them and rightfully we should. But what I want you to know is that what they celebrated this morning is what they experienced after church today. That on that moment, on that day, Jesus has already made a way. He has been raised and he's been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep and they stepped from this reality into a greater reality because of this day, because he has been risen from the dead. And it changes everything. And yet, that could be us. We don't know when that might come here. We do know that regardless of our state, regardless of our fate, Jesus has made a way. He is the ultimate hope in Christ. And so that's why we heard read earlier, Larry read it. He said, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It goes on to say, where, oh, death, is your victory? You see, Jesus' death, followed by his resurrection, defeats two things, sin, 
because now we have forgiveness of sin because Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place, but it also defeats death itself. And no great invention ever has defeated that. Now listen, we've come a long way. We came a long way from 2000 years ago. I was working on this message when I was on an airplane a couple weeks ago. And I uh, was just flying in this airplane, working on my laptop, and I got on Wi-Fi. You can get Wi-Fi on airplanes now. It's pretty amazing, right? So here I am in my seat, in the sky. Let me think about that for just a second. Going 500 miles an hour with unbreathable air on the other side of the window, texting my kids on their iPhone 4s. You know, we think about that. We're literally on a chair in the sky. This is amazing, but it didn't change everything. You see, at the end of the day, everyone on there is going to die one day. And today, without Christ, every one of them is still living in the penalty and the prison of their own sin. We can't beat it unless Christ's work is real. His resurrection is evident. I have a little sheet of paper that I have with me today that uh, once in a while I like to, I like to share from. It's, um, here's a picture of the whole thing. It's, there's all kinds of stuff on it that I don't know what it is. It's got a name, I think that's maybe Fred or something, petro petroleum, it's something about whole house. Um, it's interesting, I, I took it out in preparation for this message and I, and I actually turned it over and I don't know why, I never have done this in a, in a while, but on the back on the bottom is, and I didn't remember this, is, um, Funeral plans, it's my handwriting. And it's funeral plans for my father-in-law. His name was Jack Alderman. And I, I, again, I don't remember this, but now I looked and say, there it is. There are the songs that we sat at his table and planned together. He said, open casket, we're gonna sing Amazing Grace, the old rugged cross. But you see the whole story, the Paul Bearers were listed there. The whole story you would not necessarily know. I've shared a bit of it, but here's the reality, he was, diagnosed with a form of cancer that would ultimately take his life. And I remember Don and I were living in Buffalo, New York. We were planting a church there among the urban poor. And I got a phone call. Well, I guess we got a phone call. And, and he called us up and we, had, we got a phone call on what you'd call today a landline. Back then we called it the phone. <laughs> so we get a call on the phone and, and uh, Donna talks to her dad for a while and I talk and he says, got some, I got some questions. I, you know, this is getting very real. Can you come down? and talk to me. And so I said, of course. And so, so we actually at that point drove down. I think Don and I went together. We drove down from Buffalo, New York to, to Florida, to central Florida. And Donna stayed there to take care of him in his, in his sickness for, for weeks. And, and, and so, but I, I shared the gospel with him that day. I said, Jack, let me tell you, you're facing eternity. He said, I know I want to talk about it. So I, I went through him and I explained it to him. And I said, let me tell you what Jesus did on the cross. He died for your sin and in your place. And if you receive by grace and through faith, his work, his new life, you can have new and everlasting life. And he thought about it. And we talked about it. He was an honest man. He wasn't a, he wasn't a subtle guy. He said, Ed, if I prayed that prayer, I'd, I'd be praying it just hoping that if I died, I went to heaven. But if I got better, I'd, I'd go back to the way I was. I said, okay, Jack, I understand. And I, I drove back to Buffalo without Donna. She stayed there to take care of him. And, and it wasn't that long later, three, three, four weeks later, maybe he calls again and says, says listen, I, I need to talk to you. I've, I've really been thinking about this. I've got some letters from some friends that have helped me to think about this. Can you come down again? And I said, Jack, it's, it's a drive from Buffalo down to central Florida. It's a long way. 
said, are you sure? And I said, he said, I'm sure. So I drove down there and, and there we sat at the table. We, we planned out his funeral. This is the, the paper that we used. I forgot until just recently. But that's not why I saved the paper. He actually gave me a whole folder. I looked at it this week. In there are letters from friends sharing the gospel with him, some notes he'd taken about them. He gave me that, that folder as a testimony of his own faith in Christ, you see. But at the end of the day, in, in, in this part, you see what he came to see. Maybe you can look closely. You'll see the words born again. <laughs> Jack wrote it pretty simply. He wasn't a religious man. He said, I got to make him Lord. That means he calls the shots. He's got to be my savior. He's Canadian. There's a you in there as well. He said, I got to be my savior. He forgives. Then he says, you got to fess up. That's his way of saying confessing our sin. And then I think that says thanks and give thanks to the Lord. And then Luke 14, he talked about this. And so there we were having this conversation. And he said to me, Ed, I get it. And I want to pray to receive Christ. He said, and if I were to get better, I'm going to live for him. And if I don't, I'm going to live with him. And we prayed that day and we both had tears in our eyes. It's interesting to see that he committed his life to Christ that day. He didn't live much longer, weeks, but he said, I was still there, he said, listen, um, we got to tell all my friends. We got to tell all my friends. He had what we'd call today a Matthew party. Matthew invited all of his worldly friends over and, and all they showed up and the condo was filled and, and it, was, there was, it was a smoke-filled room. It was, there was beverages of multiple kinds. And people were partaking in liberally. And Jack said, um, everybody listen up for just a second. I need to tell you. And this was it. This was probably going to be his last talk to them. He said, I, I need to tell you what has happened to me. I need to share this with you. And he got kind of teary-eyed. And he, and he said, I want to tell you. And then he says, Ed, you tell him. <laughs> and there I was standing in front of everybody with this moment. And I, and I started to. And then Jack said, no, no, I want to tell him. And he did that day. And with tears in his eyes, he said, I've failed. I, I made these mistakes, but, but now Christ has forgiven me. He's become real in my life. I don't know he used all the right words, but he talked about being forgiven of his sin and now having a hope in heaven. And at the end of the day, sisters and brothers, right? You might say, well, I'm not in Jack's situation. I know, but you still need forgiveness of sins and hope from heaven. And it only comes because of the cross and ultimately the empty tomb. And Jack learned that that day. It wasn't that much longer that he experienced that firsthand. You know, resurrection songs are beautiful things, and we have sung beautifully today. Have you, have you just thanked our orchestra and our choir and our worship leadership and all the great work that they do? Let's do that. I, I texted Donna. Donna was on the way here. I texted Donna and the girls, and I said, these are some of mom's favorite songs. So, Pastor Tim, good job picking Donna's favorite songs. You sang one of my favorite songs, though, too. Matter of fact, Donna knows it's the only song I've ever sung as a solo in church. Now, I love the song. It's by Ken Miedema. It's He's Alive, but we didn't sing all of it. It's, it starts with the gates and doors were barred. The gates and doors were barred. My kids right now are like, don't sing the song, Dad. And that's what most of you are saying as well, and I'm going to embrace that as well. Right? Leave it to the musicians, right? But it goes, the gates and doors are barred, and, and it goes through, and it starts, he's alive. And, and here's how I remember how well this solo went, because I was singing just what you were singing. He's alive! And then there's this high note at the end, he's alive! And that's what happened to me as I sang that solo. <laughs> you can't miss the note if you're going to sing it in front of the people. 
You can miss the note at home, but there I was. But you know why it ends like that? Because that's the greatest news in all of human history. That there was this body in a tomb, dead and still, still scarred and bleeding from a crucifixion, disciples hiding and running, and then in darkness, there was a heartbeat, and there was movement, and it was of such power that it rolled a stone away. Sisters and brothers, this changes everything, the resurrection and the life, and it cannot be moderately important. In fact, let me, let me look lastly at that, right? We first looked at how the resurrection changed the disciples. Then we looked at how the resurrection changes really everything. Let's thirdly look at this can be, this is of no moderate importance. You know what moderate importance is? That's okay. It's important. It's somewhat important. So these other things don't really change anything. You know, there's always some new idea. There's always some idea that seems great at the time, and 10 years or decades later, 100 years later, it seems like what a strange thing. People don't even remember this right now. Right now, while I'm talking about the idea that changed everything, you're actually sitting in an idea that was one of the greatest ideas that people thought in day would make a difference. And then 100 years later, it's like, why is it even here? You see, you're right now unknowingly probably sitting on this, but underneath your chair, in fact, every chair here, underneath here, you see, back in the day, this is what men used to do when they came to places. This is a picture of them in their hats. Every man wore a hat. It was the thing. It was the stylish thing. It was the thing to do. And Moody Church had a problem when it was being built in the early 1920s. What are we going to do when every person wears a hat? All these men have hats. We're going to have to have hat racks that go down the halls and down the halls. And then somebody who's a brilliant architect said to somebody else, let's do this. Let's put a hat rack under every chair. It will, it will change everything. And right now, you can reach for it. Go ahead. There's a hat rack under your seat. <laughs> and you never knew it, did you? Maybe a handful of you knew it. But that hat rack has been there for about 100 years. Not quite, but almost, because about 100 years ago, this was going to change everything, right? But, but now, right, you can see it in the picture, it's, 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 it's hat slide right in there. But then in like 1924, this is built. In 1929, all the men look at each other and say, man, hats look silly. <laughs> Let's not do that anymore. Okay. And so now, almost 100 years later, most of us should right now learned that we're sitting on a hat rack. <laughs> but here's the deal. You know, that was a game changer in 1924 when this place opened, then people quit wearing hats. You see, things that change the world, they come and go. You're sitting on an invention that changed nothing while listening to a message about something that changes everything. But now we sit, we don't even know about the things that were important in the past, but it's been 2,000 years that people have been talking about this resurrection, and a billion years from now, we'll still be singing about it. It changes everything. See, that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul says that's first importance. There's nothing else that's more important than this truth. If it's true, we see everything else in the light of it. It cannot be moderately important. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because that's not my phrase. That's actually a phrase from C.S. Lewis. He wrote this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance, 
The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And yet for many of us, that's sort of how we live our lives. Okay, so Jesus was resurrected. What's the big deal? It changes everything. Matter of fact, it's interesting. We keep saying this phrase, he is risen, he is risen indeed. But you know, you know we're using bad grammar with that, right? He is risen. We don't know it. This time you're not going to say it back. He is risen. Now, it's not supposed to go like that, right? It's supposed to be he has risen. I mean, you don't say like someone had breakfast, you say he is eaten. <laughs> he is eaten indeed. No, you don't do that, <laughs> right? But we do here. You know why? Because it's actually, it's actually archaic English. It's called the present perfect construct. It's translated from the Greek aorist passive that doesn't translate into English. So you know what it is? It, it literally means an on, it means an action in the past. It tells us there's an ongoing state resulting from a past action. So it means not just that he has risen, but he is still risen now. It is still and now, and it cannot be moderately important. If it's real, if Jesus is risen, then what he says matters more than anything else. If it did not, let's go home and quit wasting our time and paying for parking to come to church. But it cannot be generally true. It cannot be moderately true. The fact of it, it demands your response. Now, I expect you to say, of course, that's what you're going to say. You're the pastor. But let me just tell you this. It's just basic core logic says that if God the Son was born Jesus the Christ and then died on a cross for your sin and in your place, and God raised him from the dead in the third day. There's nothing more important than's ever happened. And the one thing it cannot be to us is moderately important. Now listen, you can ignore an outdated iPhone and an outdated hat rack, but you can't the resurrection of the one who claimed to be the son of God. You can't. So today, you and I have to make a decision on how we're going to respond to that reality. And I, really, you can't ignore the fact that the Son of God came back from the dead. Say, well, it's, I mean, it's, we celebrate it on Easter, but how, what big of a deal is it the rest of the week? It cannot be moderately important. You, can, you cannot live your life that way because it makes no sense. It's not fair to the truth and has eternal consequences for you. Because if he came back from the dead, he defeated sin by dying on the cross for your sin and in your place. And he defeated death by making a way for you to trust, follow him, and spend eternity with him. Man, I, I want to invite you today to respond to that truth. No, not that truth, that, that person who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just in the quietness of this moment, would you stand with me right now? Let's stand together all across this room. Because I, I want you to have the opportunity to respond. Please, no one, no one else moving around, no one moving around, except those who come to be our prayer team. We've got folks in our prayer team are coming into places here, and you'll see them at different places around, and they're available to pray with you. No one else moving, please, just those going here. Because I want to invite you to actually respond to the enormity of this truth. It can't be moderately important, so how do you respond this day? Because the reality for all of us is, is this is the moment when we can come to the altar to throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus, not literally at this moment in front of a church, but spiritually say, we can't do it on our own. You made a way. And to make that our prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, that's our prayer today. That you might speak to some men and women here, some young people today, and remind them that their, their moderately important approach to Jesus does not pass. But today, Lord Jesus, you might speak to their hearts. For all of us, we might not leave this message without responding to how you're working in our lives.
we come to the altar. In just a moment, our prayer partners are going to be standing down their places. If you want to come and pray with them, just slip out of that aisle wherever you are, up in the balcony, up here on the floor, and just come pray with them. Maybe you say, Ed, I don't know if I'm a believer. I don't know. I, I want to invite you today to respond to him. In fact, if it's a prayer of your heart, you can pray this with me right now. I just cried out to him silently to the Lord, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive the new life you've given me. I receive the forgiveness of sin you provided for me. And I trust and follow you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that those who might have just prayed that prayer would come share that and others who need prayer might come. For indeed, we come to the altar. Would you sing that with me? Let's make it the song of our hearts as we lift our praise to him. Come to the altar.